the Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky team, Mr. Sam. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. A social distancing tip. While the CDC urges you to avoid close contact, like hugging or shaking hands, there are other non-physical ways to say hello. Wave, wink, use sign language, salute, smile, give the peace sign, throw up an air high five, do jazz hands. Remember, stay a minimum of six feet or two arms length away from others and stay home if you can. For more info, visit coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the Ad Council. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody, uh, to um, this week's edition of Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner program. This is part two, and joining me for today's edition of Armchair Politics, our roundtable regulars on the left, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Paul, welcome. Always good to be here. And on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter. Henry, welcome. A, a great show. And uh, last but not least, joining us for this week's edition of Armchair Politics, political operative and elector Bobby Clayton Walton. Bobby, welcome. Hi. Yay. I agree with Henry, which is not always, but it is a great show. <laughs> 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 well, that means you're my friend, here. guys. That's a nice <laughs> way of saying that she's a friend of mine. I, I thought Henry got a little cranky that last hour. Uh, he did. <laughs> uncharacteristically. He well, I had to make my point for my man that's got to <laughs> leave the White House. <laughs> Well, but, as we say, we used to say in the South, "Bless your heart." Yeah. <laughs> uh, by the way, on that very point, Henry, what do you think Trump is going to do next? <laughs> Where is his future going to be? Is he going to stay in the Republican Party or do something different or start a radio show or what? I forgot. Well, I don't know. Speculation. He's he's achieved everything that anybody in the world can achieve. I think he, people he rates with the. With the heroes in a Shakespeare's play, I, I think. I, I th- so you can't get any bigger than that. I, I think somebody <laughs> needs to whisper to President Trump that um, if he leaves, he can start working on his library. <laughs> yeah. Right across from the Four Seasons Landscaper. That's right. Um, Next to that, the, the, the adult bookstore is going to become the library. I saw the, the I saw the post on Facebook with that one. <laughs> yeah, I was actually thinking, Henry, that he might better start in one of those Greek tragedies as opposed to the Roman. <laughs> well, well it, uh, I don't know, but uh, there are no greater stories than what Shakespeare told. Well, yeah, I guess. 
<laughs> well, I'm 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 curious to go back through the catalog and see which one is playing out right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you go, the New Yorker magazine of the ninth, uh, which just came, has a wonderful article written by Jane Meyer about what Trump might do if Biden wins. And of course, this was written before Biden did win, and um, she's thrown out the the whole range of possibilities. Well, there, there was there was the one story I saw is that he, that he might take over the Rush Limbaugh show, given Rush's health issues, uh, yeah. and uh, who knows? Yeah. yeah, and the other story, or he might leave the country, or you know, he might how the, be. How are they going to get him to stick to an hour? Or how are they going to get him to be regular <laughs> in speaking for an hour? And yeah, not that's also true. Yeah. yeah. Well, but, hey, one of the but things I, I heard that Rush, I'm sorry. I heard that Rush Limbaugh said, well, you know, the people who work for the media, TV, radio, their wages are going to drop tremendously, and they're going to lay some people off. Why? Well, because Biden will not offer <laughs> the kind of subject matter that make oh. people laugh. Oh, you're saying... Yeah, you're the, you're saying <laughs> yeah the nighttime comedians are going to be hurting us. That's true. They, yeah. <laughs> the media is going to... They, they've been the great fodder, for, Trump and great fodder for them for the last four years. The media is going to take a hit because they don't have Donald Trump to kick around anymore. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and I think people to love find to... More powerful. But I don't know, Trump might go off and, and uh, do his own TV thing or whatever, and they'll still have him to kick around. Well, wow. Michigan really came out for this election. Roughly 3.23 million residents sent in their votes through absentee ballots and more than five and a half million votes in total were cast passing the previous record of five million votes during barack obama's historic 2008 election over eight million michiganders were registered to vote this year the highest registration numbers seen in the state ever loose county in the upper peninsula which went mostly red saw the highest turnout percentage in the state at 82.9%, meaning 3,795 votes were cast out of 4,579 registered voters. The lowest was Dickinson County at 56.7%, which is lower than its turnout rate in 2016, which was uh, 60%. Is this an indication that voters on both sides of the aisle were highly motivated? I, yeah, I think so. Yes, yeah. In fact, uh-huh. it seemed like the energy on one side it generated energy on the other. Everybody thought yeah. the Democrats were going to have the automatic <laughs> advantage by early voting, but for the most part, Republicans responded almost in kind with their voting uh, on, on Election Day. Well, and there's another thing. It's no wonder Trump says that this is a virus. We only have a population of 9 million, and yet you had 8 million registered voters. Where are the kids? And the under-18 people who can't vote. There's something wrong with those numbers. Are you talking about in, in Michigan? In Michigan? Yes, in Michigan. We only have 9 million. And we and have said, we had eight and, million, and over eight million uh, were registered to vote. Maybe yeah, we don't. Have, there's something wrong with that. Maybe we have more than nine million. 
No. Well, you got at least at least thirty percent of that population is under uh, twenty-one, uh, under eighteen. Twenty to thirty percent. You know that that's something wrong with the numbers. No wonder Trump is dismayed. Well, well, Henry, there's one one thing there. I mean, I mean, I think a lot of clerks do admit that the voting rolls are, I mean, while they try and keep up, keep up with those, are often not up to date. So there may be some truth in that. Yeah. But in terms of the actual voters, as I say, no, no significant evidence of dead people voting or things like no, that. No, but you, you got to clean that. You got to. You may, you may be right at one point there, Henry. But but you can't move ahead unless you clean up those two numbers. Yeah. You got to clean them up. So, but if somebody uh, leaves the state, they don't automatically notify the local county clerk. But until but the disparity, the like gap sure. between the two yeah. is so huge that it just automatically looks ridiculous. If you had said five million people voted, uh, that would be or six, no more than six. We had five that five. Would be, five million yeah. five this time. Yeah, but five million but people somehow, actually voted. Five million yeah. five, I think. Yeah, five five point five. But, I believe. but the disparity is in the number when you said eight million. So you're talking about that's, that's that's like population. Well, like I say, Henry, I mean, most county clerks will admit that they, while they try and keep up, yeah. that there are, like I say, if somebody decides to move out of Michigan tomorrow, they may not notify the county clerks they're going to do it, and but it may, it may be a typographical for a few elections. It may be just simply a typographical. It yeah. may be. Here's one, here's one of the questions that I always ask, is where on the budget have we funded a function to actually go in there and clean it up? Because much of what government does is based on how much money they get to do it. And if it's not high on the list of priorities for the registrars or for Jocelyn Benson or for anyone else to go through the, the voter rolls and making sure that everybody that's on the list is actually qualified and living in the state of Michigan, there's no money there to do it. It has to be voter-driven or driven by complaint. But can you just clarify this for me? Is the appointment I made, does it make sense? Yeah, and the point I made makes sense, too. Well, I'm, I'm not debating you. I don't say that. I never had an issue with that. I want to know whether I'm sane, because I know everybody else is. But I want to know what I'm whether saying, that Henry, makes is sense. there are there are people on the voter rolls who may have died, who may not live in Michigan anymore. The number, the disparity is still too great for that. No matter what you plug in there, it doesn't make but sense. The- the bottom line is that they, those folks aren't voting anyhow. I mean, that's, while the rolls may be out of date, the, the actual voters are, are are still very, very accurate. I mean, but the statement when you said 8 million that. people were on the register vote, that yeah. doesn't make sense at all. It's like the well, whole total population. Well, blame, your, blame the free press. Talk to your legislature and get them to fund oh, a whole cleanup. I, I'm sorry. I don't. I don't want to go that deeply, and I just ask a question. Does it make sense? Because there are other people out there who will listen to this and go out and challenge me. Well, I did Henry, see a Facebook meme where somebody said, uh, "My mother voted for Biden," which was a big surprise to me because she never would have done that when she was alive. <laughs> That's a good joke. <laughs> How did he know his mother voted for Biden? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Must have been the yard sign. I don't know. 
Um, well, celebrating his re-election, Senator Gary Peters on Thursday pledged to fight for Democratic values and be bipartisan in his second term while saying it was sad and pathetic that Republican challenger John James had refused to concede defeat. James, without citing evidence, issued a uh, written statement saying he had deep concerns that millions of Michiganders may have been disenfranchised by a dishonest few who cheat. Peters, who won, was up by about 87,000 votes, or 1.6%, with almost all precincts reporting. Should James follow the president's lead on delaying concession while recounts and legal challenges are being mounted? Well, you know, that's a difficult position. You're between a rock and a hard spot. Because people who were, who came out and funded you millions of dollars to run your campaign, they probably had some liking for Trump. If you turn your back on Trump, they like to turn your back on you. Now later, uh, any and anything else you might do in the future. So, but you got to figure out a way to distance yourself from that argument, and you got to call it as clean as you can. Uh, eventually you're going to say have to admit defeat and I would think if James James has any political future and I think he might acting in a civil sensible way on this election might be the best way for him from his own personal personal point of view and the other thing about James these are all most of his people are white voters 90% So he can't afford to lose that kind of a block. See, that's what the Democratic Party has in black America. They have that base there. That's always there. Well, I guess what I'm saying, if he comes off as a sore loser, will will that hurt him? Yeah, that's that's what I'm afraid. I I agree with you. He's got to be cautious. Well, I think the hardest thing to come by is integrity. And I'm looking for that in the person that I would vote for and support. And I think what he is doing doesn't show a great deal of integrity. Well, he's thinking about it. He knows what is at risk. Because he'll never get that kind of support from the community of the people that look like him. Which sounds rather self-serving. Anyone that's thinking about the community thinks about the community and not themselves. Well, that's a good thing to say, but we all must have some love of ourselves. The Bible says, know thyself. Sure. Well, on, well, that, uh, on that pregnant pause, I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead and uh, move on to a break, and we'll, uh, and we'll come back and talk some more on armchair politics. We have uh, our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, on the left and right, respectively, and they're joined by political operative Bobby Clayton Walton. If you're listening to us on WFOV 92.1 FM, Our Voices Radio in Flint, they are a broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions and my good friend Paul Herring. We're going to let them squeeze a few words in edgewise or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. And uh, then we'll return after this break with uh, 
more armchair politics, and still ahead, of course, my favorite part, the X-Files. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. We will be right back. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Tom Sumner program is hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell, Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the Briggs. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write us at TomSumnerProgram.com. Call us at 810-339-8255 or contact us on Facebook or Twitter. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner program where to go. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. How do you do, ladies and gentlemen? This is Bob Hope back once again to tell you it's better to have Pepsodin flowing over your teeth now than to have water running under your bridge later. 
Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get through it. The Tom Sumner Program.com. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Armchair Politics continues now on the Tom Sumner Program with our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by Bobby Clayton Walton. Welcome back, everybody. Um, Good to be here. President Trump's inner circle is beginning to split over his ongoing refusal to accept the results of the 2020 election as Jared Kushner and First Lady Melania Trump advised him to come to terms with President-elect Joe Biden's victory and his adult sons pressed him and allies to keep fighting. Kushner, the president's son-in-law and senior advisor, has approached him to concede, according to two sources at CNN. The first lady, according to a separate source familiar with the conversations, has privately said the time has come for him to accept the election loss. Meanwhile, Trump's two adult sons, Donald Jr. and Eric, have urged allies to continue pressing on, and they have pushed Republicans and supporters to publicly reject the results even as CNN and other news organizations projected the race for Biden a week ago Saturday. How much impact do Jared and Melania have on the president? I don't think oh, anybody has much. any impact on the president. Yeah, that's probably true, Bobby. That's probably better, better said, yeah. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> I think maybe they do. But I think, like uh, everybody else has said, it's time to consider uh, going back to the farm. <clears throat> and you've done a good job. He needs to toot his successes. He needs to show where he's made a difference in the lives of people of not only color, but all Americans by, with a great economy. He's got a good, he's got a good leeway to leave the office with grace and dignity. And I hope he will. And I'm going and to encourage do suppose, him. Do you suppose, Henry, that he will accept your phone call? Would you be able to talk him into doing that? Uh, I don't know, but I sure try. I think it's because, time. You know, I that's think my it's job. That's my job to save the president of the United States. Yeah, well, I say, if, uh, if he, let, if he left on those kind of terms, it would, his reputation might be somewhat more enhanced. I think it's time it to now. build the biggest presidential library in the history of presidential libraries. <laughs> The bigliest one. You'll be the best and the biggest and the smartest and the most and, and the most, and, and most well-attended. More, yeah, right. more people yeah. will go to that Big. presidential library than have ever gone to presidential libraries before. And there'll be giant gold letters that says Trump Library above it. <laughs> you know, Trump says he's, he's a poor loser. So if you guys are still laughing at him and making fun of him, he won't go quietly. Oh, I think you're right, Ed. but that's why he may yeah. have won in the first place when Obama teased him at that uh, correspondence dinner before the, before sixteen. A lot of people Maybe. say that's when he decided As- to run. Aside from Maybe. his his aside from his tweets, 
he has been very quiet this last week. Oh, yeah, amazingly and, so. And, it, and it, it could be that he really is considering his options yeah. and an exit strategy that affords him the most dignity. I, yeah, I don't, think, I don't think he knows what to do right at this point. I think today, isn't he supposed to show up today for some Well, there's only one thing that he can do. He can prepare to exit. This thing is time dependent, and the ticks are going closer and closer. It doesn't matter whether he chooses to leave or not. I don't know if anybody (laughs) saw it, but I posted on Facebook a story I remember from when I was going to school in Texas. There was a governor of Texas in 1874 who refused to leave when he was defeated in an election. And he, you may remember this, his name was Edmund Davis, and he, he sought help I from... I think that was a little before my time. Well, yeah, but you didn't read those history books. <laughs> but they had to sneak, they had to sneak the, the winner through a second-story window into the state house. The legislature <laughs> also had to <laughs> And they swore right. him in, and then they had to come and batter the door down to make the other guy leave. <laughs> The Merchant of Denmark. <laughs> <laughs> this is some kind of goofy reality TV. Yeah. <laughs> and, and no, the and Prince Henry, of Denmark. I need to, the I, of Denmark. I, I need to go go back and do a little housekeeping, uh, Henry. Um, please don't get the impression that I'm making fun of the president, the presidency, or Donald Trump. But the situation is very unusual and disconcerting, and and rife for a little humor, I think. Yeah, but you know what? I think I think this is terrible. Um, this is reflecting on the Republican Party of the United States. The Republican Party has to survive at all costs. We as individuals here today and gone tomorrow, but that those institutions must survive. You know, and here's we need to look at. One thing that's very unsettling is how many Republicans are 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 standing by in, in Congress, except for a few. Most of the ones in Congress are are standing by the president on this issue, and I, I think you're right. That kind of, I think that does hurt the Republican Party when they when they. And I that. think I think what I've read, and I think it makes sense, is that Donald Trump has become the Republican Party, yeah. and the Republican Party, if you looked at their convention, they adopted the Trump agenda. There was no platform, and so if if he is harming the Republican Party, what is the Republican Party going to do about it? Well, the Republican Party is independent from the president. The president uh, goes his way in many ways. We help raise money and stuff like that for the president. And you've got to support the person who is acting or who serves in that interest for the Republican Party. You've got to do that. The people, you know, you'd be the laughing stock of the world if you didn't. Uh-huh. The Republican Party has got its own caution. And, you know, and there are a lot of people, even those in Congress, I mean, they they are hoping that the president would leave gracefully, as well, I do, sc- and everybody else. One scenario that somebody was kicking around is that would he start a third party? I mean... Uh, he can do that if he wants to. Yeah, I mean, t- Teddy Roosevelt tried that in 1912, after, after, be, after being president, uh, unsuccessfully. But uh, who knows? I mean, well, I, I, and, again, I've seen that as among other possibility people have tossed out. Well, look but at Grover Cleveland. Cleveland. That's also true. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But 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 guys, there's 
saturation point with the American people for you over time. You got to move because people get saturated by stagnant ideas and stagnant positions. So he's done a great job. He's represented the American people well. He's fought off uh, foreign interests and stuff like that. He has nothing to be ashamed of. He stood up to his critics. He was not a coward. And uh, we ought to be proud of him. It'll wait another generation or two for people to to uh, say who Trump really was. We were, he we don't appreciate him, but as time goes by, people will take a look at what he did. You know, um, Henry, you remind me of an ideal that I have developed recently, and and developing a master class on politics and government, so that you can look at the picture books and you can look at the at the schemes and you look at the charts. And this is what the book tells you is supposed to be happening. But then you go to stage left, and here's what's really happening. This is how it really works when you're introducing a bill into Congress. This is how it really works when you're talking about yeah. campaign finance law. Yeah. There's two different yeah. worlds out there. You're describing the ideal, but that's not what yeah. we're dealing with. Yeah, but see, anything that's passed through Congress... It takes on its own way. It becomes something else when it comes in contact with regulators and the people who have to implement it. It's, no, it's different, and maybe that's good because nothing in its, on its own is pristine and perfect. And that's a, that's a worthwhile process. That's okay with me. Well, the Democratic... We the Democratic Party is quickly mobilizing voters for two U.S. Senate races in Georgia, applying the lessons learned from an unexpectedly poor showing in down-ballot races across the country to the contests that will determine whether Democrats control both chambers of Congress next year. After losing seats in the House and falling short in several key Senate races, Democrats realize that their pandemic-induced shift to digital and television outreach had left behind potential voters. They also saw the Republicans had succeeded in tying Democratic candidates to far-left proposals and slogans like defund the police. But Georgia Democratic Senate candidates John Ossoff and uh, Raphael Warnock have narrowly tailored their message to addressing the health care and economic crises, and Democrats plan to expand their field operation in the Peach State. If these two Democrats win their Senate seats, is that an indication that Georgia has flipped to blue? Yes. I think At least so. purple. At least purple. I mean, yeah. maybe blue, but yeah. Yeah, I think we're, and again, I think it's a shift of population. A lot, a lot of different folks are moving into, yeah. into the Atlanta area, and uh, it's changing what Georgia from what Georgia used to be. And part of part of it is also the amazing ability of Stacey Abrams to work yeah. as hard as she could in the state of Georgia to stimulate action from the people who might not have been active before. Yeah, but one person by himself or herself can't do it. No, be I a system that does that. Do you think she'll uh, run for governor again? She done a lot, oh. though. Stacey yeah. Abrams. Do you think she'll run for governor again? Uh, I don't think if so. The state I, goes blue. I saw her the other night on one of the shows, and she said, "You know, if they just had elected her governor, she would have been too busy to have caused all this trouble." <laughs> <laughs> 
But I think they're already they're already sending in for absentee ballots, and um, I think the interest in January is going to be pretty high. You yeah. know what? What amazes me about that uh, situation in Georgia is how close to um, socialism are some of the Democrats there, uh, particularly the black Democrats who. Yeah, but is uh, they, but are but are they really Henry? The country are they really, yeah. or is that what we're hearing ten states away? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, you can call it that way. Either one works. Because they what have I not know. been proven yet. I worked but, for a few hours. <laughs> I worked for a few the, hours at one of the polls, handing out literature for Supreme Court candidates on election day, and two. Trump voters chose to stop after they voted and talk to me. I did not seek, you know, I, I smiled and thanked everybody, but they came up to talk to me. And I think part of it was because they were embarrassed to tell me they had voted for Trump, although they didn't have to tell me that. And one was a black man. And yeah. uh, the two... You were saying that. That's, that was, yeah. The two Nothing things unusual that, about that. No, I'm just telling you. The two yeah. things that, that came out of that that they introduced, I didn't, I didn't probe, was socialism, you know, the Democrats are socialists, and uh, abortion, they're killing babies. Those two things made effective messages, effective labeling by the Republicans and by Donald Trump in making people fearful of voting for Democrats. So when Henry says socialism in the state of Georgia, I wonder how do you define socialism if what you're Observing. Well, we don't right. have to go through that. We know what socialism is. Oh, well, yeah, yeah, and I, we know what communism is. But are these people? But are these people truly meeting the definition? I remember uh, Bernie Sanders trying to uh, parse. Sanders? trying to parse this uh, very issue yeah. by saying he was a democratic socialist, that yeah. he believed in socialism, but he believed in the democratic process as well, and that somehow that was different than the, the negative connotation that socialism has in this country. It's all right. You know, uh, my, my, my point is, all African Americans who live in the United States live in the best possible scenario ever and ever will. So, and, Henry, but I, to change this country to something unfamiliar is Henry, I, a while, while back I did, I, did a, I did a column called You May Be a Socialist based upon the old You May Be a Redneck kind of thing. And, you know, if you believe in the police department and trash collection and, 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 and expressways and the, the military and national parks and a thousand other things, you may be a socialist. If the government does stuff, to what yeah. degree do, yeah. do you think government ought to do stuff? Of one kind well, of that stuff, was uh, care or trash pickup. You know, at some level, unless you're a hardcore anarchist, everybody thinks government ought to do some stuff. The question is, how much? Are you familiar but with the patriotic the millionaires? What? The patriotic yeah, millionaires. They they started out as a group of forty who wrote a letter yeah. to to uh, Barack Obama and said, "Hey, tax us more, be oh, yeah. because yeah. we you know we want to chip in, we want to help. You know, we're not <laughs> we're not all greedy. Uh, uh, yeah, you know. And, and anyway, Morris Pearl is one of the founding members. They they have hundreds of members now, um, and 
you know, he um, said something real interesting recently. He said, I am just as greedy as every other millionaire. I want good roads. I want good schools for my kids. I want... <laughs> and, yeah. and he, and he kind of turned the conversation a little bit, much in the way that Henry often does. Well, you know, and here's the thing. Black Americans, they will inherit the third of the leadership of this country in 30 years, just through attrition. They don't have to fight and go out and burn cities, and they don't have to uh, kill people or policemen or whatever. They don't have to berate other people because they do it without firing a shot. Most people have to fight with blood, sweat, and tears to get to that point, but we don't. So I, I urge all Americans to keep the faith. Don't move the country in some other direction. Move the country in a way that you can get along with uh, the people who live here, who have the money, the power, the influence. And that's going to happen shortly. But nobody will talk about this issue. And this is why we, we got uh, this, why, why we're driving a wedge right down through the center of the country. You know, Henry, you said a lot of words there, and I haven't been able to form that into anything that I can even understand. You won't either. This is this is difficult. I'm capable. This is philosophy. <laughs> but well, no. I'm capable yeah. of that too. Well, you think about it a while, and then we'll talk about it. Let me. I, I so, want to make sure and squeeze in one more topic before we uh, before we run up against a break again. Um, the uh, Supreme Court met yesterday to discuss whether to invalidate the entire Affordable Care Act, the linchpin of the nation's health care system. So far, the justices have laid low, avoiding any significant participation in post-election litigation. But now all eyes will be on the, uh, are on the court as it sorts through the most controversial case of the term, which could impact tens of millions of Americans, including roughly 20 million who have gained coverage over the law's exchanges and the expansion of Medicaid to low-income adults. Also at risk are popular provisions that protect those with pre-existing conditions, as well as those that allow parents to keep their children on their health insurance plans until age 26. Pundits have been sounding the alarm, but Roberts and Kavanaugh say that's premature. Um, and in a very unusual revelation yesterday from the Supreme Court. But do you think uh, the Supreme Court of the United States will overturn the ACA? No. No. From the, from the no, questions that they were, they were asking yesterday, it sounds like they're going to keep it in some way. And I'm reminded here, I think I used the line before, that uh, remember what in the 1930s, there was the whole thing about court packing, and yeah. all of us, and it didn't rough. go anywhere. And then all of a sudden, the court began approving FDR's New Deal programs, and it was called a switch in time to save nine. I wonder if we're not seeing the same thing here <laughs> when the current court is taking a look at the political horizon and saying, on second thought, maybe this is going to be okay. Well, uh, and I, I, you know, I just, I just remember the career of, uh, of uh, Justice Kennedy. That's who, true. who yeah, that's okay. you know, everybody was expecting was going to vote with uh, conservatives all the time, and you know it was going to be a conservative court. And then, you know, he just he started surprising people right away, and I, you know, I I was kind of surprised 
by some of Kavanaugh's comments yesterday. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and it reminds me that as I was watching the um, confirmation process for Amy Coney Barrett, I was fairly impressed with her. And, and I sort of got the impression that despite the things that she's written, despite some of her positions, that she might surprise people. Um, and and garner uh, a lot more respect than the process afforded her. And I think she's be great. And and I remember I think thinking that and making those comments, but I was completely taken off guard by Brett Kavanaugh yesterday. Yeah, same here. Yeah, yeah. well, remember Souter, uh, Justice Souter, also, I think surprised people. And John Roberts well, I don't, certainly I don't think has. Well, uh, let me let me tell you one, one one last story here about a court. Justice Hugo Black, as a young man, was a member of the Ku Klux Klan, and then yeah. as a member of the Supreme Court, was an advocate of civil rights. And the line on him was, yeah. as a young yeah. man, he wore white sheets and, fr- and scared black people, and <laughs> and as an old man, he wore black robes and scared scared white people. <laughs> oh yeah, I love those kind of stories. You know. Yeah. Um, President Johnson had the same kind of a story. So when you guys talk about Democrats and Republicans, I have the Democrats I like too. <laughs> well, of course, and that's and and that's the thing. And you know, I I, I have to say I've been um, more impressed with Joe Biden in in a, a post-election quasi-president elect role. Um, than I really was with him as a candidate. Um, and partly because of some of the things he said and the healing way in which he's trying to move forward. And True. and I wonder if he's going to be effective or if we're going to end up in, uh, you know, in a few weeks, um, a nation divided by people who wear masks and people who won't. I think well, it depends upon what happens in Georgia in January. Yeah, that could be. Well, yeah. I, you know, I think the country is going to be just fine. We've, we've downplayed and undermined and underestimated uh, Joe Biden. And I remember, you, you guys have heard me say this before. Oh, yeah. I like Joe Biden. I was dead. Because he voted for Condoleezza Rice when Feinstein and Pelosi did not. When she was running for Secretary of State, my wife and I watched the, the presentation. Pelosi, said, Pelosi couldn't Pardon? vote for her. Pelosi was in the Who? House. Pelosi could not vote. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, it was fine. Was it fine? Well, anyway, the comments, I just read the comments from, from both of them they, because they were traced back as being anti-communist rights. So, uh, but Joe Biden wasn't. He said he was supporter. Now, if you don't think that that creates a good, positive working relationship, it does. <clears throat> and by the way, Here's, when Joe Biden was talking, guys, let me say this and I'm out of here so I can get beat up by Republicans. <laughs> but, uh, when, when, when Joe Biden was making his appeal to the American people, was he making his appeal to me? Now, I'm looking at the guy in the eye. Was he making that appeal to me? It sure sounded like it. Yeah. Well, but, yes, and when you, uh, but, but when 
I don't think that the Republicans made that kind of convincing argument that you're talking to me, somebody that's not a part of you. That's true. And and a lot of yeah. that, I think, falls on Donald Trump and his personal style. Yeah, yeah. it does. But, we, but it's we've good. got a break here, and uh, when we come back, we're going to go to uh, my favorite part. always like to end on a lighter note with uh, the X-Files <laughs> coming up right after this. Hey, <laughs> this is the Unknown Comic, and guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now. And now, and now too, and even now. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. Take the following everyday steps to help avoid the spread of all respiratory viruses. Wash your hands often with soap and water for at least 20 seconds. Cover your cough or sneeze with a tissue. Throw the tissue away and then wash your hands. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects or surfaces, such as remote controls and doorknobs. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. And stay home if you are sick. Call your health care provider if you develop fever, cough, or difficulty breathing. For more tips, visit cdc.gov. They say singing can help you remember things, so here's some tips for parents out there during these tough times. Make sure your kids wash their hands for 20 seconds after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside. Virtual playdates, social and physical distancing can help save lives. Tell them they're safe and show your love and pride. Yes, we'll get through this together. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Tom Sumner program is hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell, Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the Briggs. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us at 810-339-8255 or contact us on Facebook or Twitter. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner program where to go. Do you have feelings of inadequacy? Do you suffer from shyness? Do you sometimes wish you were more assertive? If you answered yes to any of these questions, ask your doctor or pharmacist about tequila. Tequila is the safe, natural way to feel better and more confident about yourself and your actions. Tequila can help ease you out of your shyness and let you tell the world that you're ready and willing to do just about anything. You'll notice the benefits of tequila almost immediately. And with a regimen of regular doses, you can overcome any obstacles that prevent you from living the life you want to live. Shyness and awkwardness will be a thing of the past, and you'll discover many talents you never knew you had. Stop hiding and Start living with tequila. Tequila may not be right for everyone. Women who are pregnant or nursing should not use tequila. However, women who wouldn't mind nursing or becoming pregnant are encouraged to try it. Side effects may include dizziness, nausea, vomiting, incarceration, erotic lustfulness, loss of motor control, loss of clothing, loss of money, loss of virginity, delusions of grandeur, 
table dancing, headache, dehydration, dry mouth, and a desire to sing karaoke and play all night rounds of strip poker, truth or dare, and naked twister. Warning, the consumption of alcohol may make you think you're whispering when you're not. It's a major factor in dancing like a retard. May cause you to tell your friends over and over again that you're in love with them. Also may cause you to think you can sing. Alcohol may lead you to believe that ex-lovers are really dying for you to telephone them at four in the morning. Alcohol may make you think you can logically converse with members of the opposite sex without spitting. It may create the illusion that you are tougher, smarter, faster, and better looking than most people. And it may lead you to think people are laughing with you. Alcohol may cause pregnancy. And it also may be a major factor in getting your ass kicked. So what are you waiting for? Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila! I get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone... I got a feeling something strange is about to happen. In the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. Uh, we wrap up today's edition uh, of Armchair Politics, as we do each week, with um, some of those weird and unusual stories we call the X-Files. And uh, here's one that's uh, well, somewhat topical. In the midst of all the uncertainty surrounding the 2020 election, one bright spot emerged on Tuesday as Wilbur, a French bulldog, won the mayorship of Rabbit Hash, a tiny community in Kentucky's Boone County. The jury's still out on what Wilbur's policies are going to be, but the handsome pup was a popular choice, claiming over 13,000 vo- votes out of nearly 23,000 votes, setting a new record. According to local reports, he will be replacing Mayor Brynneth Paltrow, a pit bull who has dutifully served <laughs> since 2017. Do you think there will be a dog fight over transition? <laughs> I don't know. It sounds like there was a male and a female. Maybe there'll just be a date. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought that was symptomatic of what's going on right now. There was a, a, a parody. Well, of course, in Flint, we had the edge. We, we ran Giggles the Pig for mayor a few years ago here in Flint. So, yeah. We, we, that, well, I think Ann Arbor out. actually, uh, didn't Ann Arbor elect a duck or something from a, a local park to the city council? <laughs> Why not? Why not? Right. Well, some neighbors in Richmond, this is kind of a throwback to Halloween, actually. Um, Some of the neighbors in uh, Richmond, Texas, had a bone to pick with Angela Neva's Halloween skeleton strip club display. The Homeowners Association called Neva's pole dancing skeletons and dollar bill waving customers scalacious. Um, Well, the actual terms were offensively positioned and inappropriate, 
Nava got a letter saying she had 30 days to shut it down. She said she just wanted to provide laughs in a difficult year and will bury the club display on November 1st. Um, everybody in my section of the neighborhood has been very supportive, she told the Houston Chronicle. I do have a few haters. We have to respectfully agree to disagree. For me, this is just a great creative outlet. Nava said she will keep changing the scenario a bit every night um, until closing. She said she was adding a VIP line. Not bad for a club that was dead from the start. Um, <laughs> Should Angela have kept her skeletons in the closet? <laughs> oh, oh, that's a good line. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah the political line. year. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, uh, <clears throat> the Wisconsin State Patrol had a little advice for a guy who transported a snowmobile by strapping it to the roof of his Toyota Corolla. <laughs> a, a trooper pulled over the driver on Highway 63 in northwestern Wisconsin on Sunday afternoon after seeing the snowmobile perched sideways on top of the sedan. The Wisconsin Department of Transportation tweeted a photo of the car with the Polar Polaris topper on Monday with a message, folks, don't try this at home. The 23-year-old driver was issued a warning about the hauling technique and cited for failing to buckle up, according to DOT spokeswoman Christina O'Brien. Which do you think is more dangerous, transporting a snowmobile on the roof of a Toyota Corolla or the method that was used to get it up there? Yeah, how in the world would it do that? Yeah. That would have been some work. I was wondering if they had a wide load. Was it wider than the car? It was. It know. was a little bit. It was a little yeah. bit. Not um, a lot. Not not enough for flags. But, okay. Uh, but and it, it wasn't a convertible. No, it was not. It was uh, yeah, a hard top yeah. Toyota Corolla with a snowmobile perched on top of it. The reason he didn't wear his seat belts is because he was had to jump out in case <laughs> this car <laughs> took on its own <laughs> he, he, navigational. He, he may have been standing up to to reach out the window and hold the thing on. Oh. Um, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, How old was he? He must have been between 19 and 25. Isn't that when the male brain 23. was 23? Yep, you nailed 23. it. He was 23 okay. years old. That explains it. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah, I think of some of the goofy things that uh, that that I did. I remember, um, Bobby, you'll get a kick out of this. Uh, I had a an MG Midget one time, and it was very difficult to transport my drums in it. And I had a bike rack on the on the back of the car, and so I <laughs> used to uh, put my bass drum on the the back of the car with um, uh, bungee cords. <laughs> and, and the car, when it was driving down the street, had this bass drum that was almost as big as the car, and it looked like a parade float or, or part of a marching band or something. But I think I, I, think I was about... You could have earned extra money by... Hauling campaign signs on top. There you, you go. Right. I, uh, yeah. And I think I was probably about 23 at the time. 
See? There's something about the male brain that just until they're about 30, I don't know. Well, I'm I'm well beyond 30, and I'm, <laughs> you do I'm, it again. Right? I'm still sorting. Oh, happy birthday! Oh, happy thank you, birthday, thank Tom. you. That was very That's nice. Right. Thank you. Happy birthday! Uh, yeah. Happy birthday! Another Scorpio. We got to take you out for. We got to take you out for uh, a beverage, uh, Spiker. Yeah. After the after yeah. the COVID. Yeah, I'm amazed right. at how many people I know that are Scorpios because my birthday's in about oh, it's next week. And um, Happy I keep thinking, to you. Oh, thank you. Um, I keep thinking, oh my gosh, I know all these Scorpios. I don't know, the world's not ready. <laughs> no, they're not ready. Well, I, I think Scorpios <laughs> attract Scorpios. Yeah. Yeah. Is a Scorpio or a scorpion? It's kind of a clue. Yeah, I don't know. I have a grandson, three grandsons that are Scorpios and a son, and, you know, it's wow. just like, yeah, there we are. Well, I was uh, I was actually um, born on um, election eve. The uh -huh. year the year I was born, and my mother was a candidate. Oh, that's really? talk about timing. Talk about timing. Yeah. Yeah. Really? The, yep. The doctor came in the next morning and said, "Well, you've got a brand new baby boy and sixty-three thousand friends." <laughs> <laughs> what was your What was your I mother running for? Uh, Genesee County Register of Deeds. Oh, really? As, oh. as a Republican, and her slogan was, "It's time for a change," which was <laughs> which was printed out on cloth diapers in, in like a banner. Oh, no kidding! Well, and you were probably born on Monday because the election yeah. is on Tuesday. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. Wow. Oh, and, that's really that's a great story. And it's not unusual for my birthday to fall on election day. Yeah, yeah I, I know it's commonly been the case. I hope you have pictures of the campaign and so forth. Oh <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. I've got pictures yeah. of her with uh, <laughs> George Aljo from Detroit and Tom Dewey and uh, wow. Tom Dewey. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. W was that the governor? No, Tom Dewey was the one who ran against. Uh, Truman. Roosevelt he twice. ran for president. Yeah, but he, he ran 40, for 40, 40 a governor in Michigan. Yeah, for, wasn't he? New, New, New York. New he York was York. from Owasso. Yeah, he, he was, was from, from Owasso originally. But he was governor of New York for a while, for a while before he ran for president. And the picture right. was taken at the uh, airport in Owasso. Oh, oh. That's a great story. Yeah, and I remember yeah, that. That's a great headline. story. Was it Chicago Tribune, Dewey defeats <laughs> Truman? Yeah. Oh yeah, for that very famous headline. There. Well, I've 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 been uh, actually uh, kind of letting the cat out of the bag when I tell people that Paul Rosicki still has a bunch of Dewey uh, ballots in the trunk of his car. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we got to wrap it up, folks. But thank you so much for another uh, enjoyable uh, weekly roundtable. Thank you. I need one quick and message to Henry. I got my DNA yes. tested. I have two-tenths of one percent Nigerian blood. Ooh, what are you doing to us? <laughs> <laughs> hey, I want to say thanks to You're Henry Hatter. Up, right? Henry, it's always <laughs> a pleasure to have you here. Henry Hatter, Paul yeah. Rosicki, Paul, it's always a treat. And Bobby, it's a lot, always a lot of fun when you can join us. And uh, best of luck in the... Uh, casting of your electoral vote. Thank you very no, much. Yes. Accosted and abducted. 
All right. And please well, that uh, wraps the college door. on YouTube. Bobby, that wraps it up. Good night, everybody. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. And thanks for listening.